That music means it's time for another Building a Better Story World. We're back in the swing of things after taking some time off. Steel Philippec here, as always, to help you build out those narrative universes that you can't wait to share with the world. It's a brand new year, and I'm hoping that you use it to publish that novel, start that podcast, put out that comic, or release that video channel that you've been putting off. There's never been a better time to be a creator, and I'm here to guide the way, whether you're a vet or a rookie. If you were here for our previous episode, you know we're talking about practical tools to engage fans in your story world. As a refresher, and in case you weren't here for that, these tools are the vowels of fan engagement. A for ask. Asking your audience to take part, even in some small way. Slick Star 15. So you'd like to know about Tyler the Creator. Let's do something a little different here. I'm going to need you to close your eyes. No, seriously, close your eyes. E for express. Expressing an opinion, style, or idiom that is distinct from other creators, but also just familiar enough that people aren't totally weirded out. In the beginning, the universe was created. This made a lot of people very angry and has been widely regarded as a bad move. I. Incentivize. Incentivizing your audience via rewards. This episode is brought to you by Skillshare. The first thousand people to use the link in the description will get a one-month free trial of Skillshare Premium. O. Offer. What are your offerings to your fan base beyond your main media? Hi, it's Phoebe. I wanted to let you know that we have a shop on our website where you can buy all sorts of criminal-related things. There are criminal logo t-shirts and sweatshirts. There's a nice criminal water bottle and coffee mug. Tote bags, postcards, pins. We even have socks. You for utility. Some small bit of easily used information or skill that you give to your audience that is incidental to your larger point. I'm going to add a quarter of a cup of half and half. You can use milk if you want to, but half and half adds that little je ne sais quoi. We've covered them all in broad strokes, but over the next five episodes, we're going to go into detail about each. First up is the beginning. A for ask. This is an important step because you're asking fans to take part. A singular work can be defiant. It can be controversial. It can inspire antagonism between lovers of the work and the broader world, or even with each other. What you're doing is creating a story world. Those require fans to come back again and again. If it's too hard or too complex or too nihilistic or too unrewarding, fans won't want to join you in your narrative universe. You have to build a bridge to your land of imagination and entice people to use it as much and as often as they'd like. The ask is an easy way to jumpstart the relationship of construction. In short, and in recap of what we discussed in the last episode, asking fans to take part does three things. It creates a touchpoint for conversation. You are not just broadcasting information, but engaging people to give their point of view or take action. To find out, this afternoon we sent a team out to the street to ask pedestrians to name a book. Any book. <laughs> could be the Bible. Could be Fifty Shades of Grey. All we wanted to know is... Can you name a book? And here's how that went. It invokes a psychological trick called the Ben Franklin effect, which paradoxically gets new fans aboard by asking them to do you a favor. It encourages those who are waffling to get involved via a call to action. So you're a wine writer from Portland, and uh, how long have you guys been married? Five years. It's our anniversary. Happy anniversary. And you're here in Las Vegas. Look at that. Was it the first marriage for both of you? Uh, it's my third. Your third marriage. Wow. Wow. Wee. Action is the key word for ask. Some of the other vowels work subconsciously and are interwoven into subtext. Asking fans to do something is not one of those things. 
It needs to be overt. It needs to be direct. It needs to come from your mouth, or the mouth of your presenters, or the mouth of your characters. Your goal is to jumpstart the conversation. So if you're taking part in this episode's prompts, remember to be assertive when you ask, be it in the form of a thematic question asked in dialogue or request for aid from your audience. Let me know how you like to make kimchi and uh, if there's other things you'd like to have seen me do, leave them in the comments below. Thanks for tuning in. Bon appetit. For our case study, we're going to be looking at the brand of one single creator. His story world is one of nonfiction, but that's not to say it's not imaginative or a narrative universe. Across two decades, numerous books, several television shows, and many, many guest appearances, this creator built up a brand around his persona that engaged a legion of fans. He must have been doing something right. You're probably going to find out about it anyway. So here's a little preemptive truth-telling. There's no happy ending. One, two, three, four! Chef Anthony Bourdain. Anthony Bourdain. Anthony Bourdain. The renowned chef and best-selling author of Kitchen Confidential. All the TV chefs are so cuddly and adorable, you know, maybe I'm the antidote or something. Has a new program, Parts Unknown. One minute I was standing next to a deep fryer, and the next I was watching the sunset over the Sahara. What am I doing here? Anthony Bourdain was a chef, writer, presenter, producer, globetrotter, and lover of life. By his own admission, he lost a large chunk of that life to drugs and alcohol, but slowly climbed out of that hole to become the head of Leal, a steak frite restaurant in Lower Manhattan. Kitchen Confidential, Bourdain's combination autobiography, tell-all, and self-help guide to cooking, catapulted him to fame with its frank, no-nonsense look behind the curtain of the restaurant industry. This was written as a sort of a... Uh, overly frank, perhaps, Valentine to a business that I've been in for 28 years and love. And uh, I think a lot of chefs and cooks have been gratified to hear, uh, you know, someone talking about the business in, in a, you know, completely honest way in a language uh, that, that's entirely familiar to them. Bourdain ruffled a few feathers with that work and subsequent content, but that was just the way he was. He didn't mind a little confrontation, and he didn't mind being called on his bull, either. You know, he loved Twitter because it was a perfect format for somebody as smart and snarky as he was. And uh, he actually created fake identities of people so he could troll himself. That persona led to a mini empire of content through his production company, Zero Point Zero. Bourdain would travel the world, write cookbooks and travelogues and essays and more, and create award-winning television, among much else. His story world was one of food and people in equal parts, examining the world, politics, chefs, average citizens, and himself via the cuisine that people created and consumed. Be open to experience. Be willing to try new things. Don't have a rigid plan. Accept random acts of hospitality without judgment or fear. Don't be afraid to wander. Don't be afraid to eat a bad meal. You know, if you don't risk the bad meal, you'll never get the magical one. But I think most important, you know, be humble, be grateful. There are a lot of gray areas in travel. As a practical examination, Bourdain's work sets a great example for all of you out there that want to create nonfiction story worlds. Look at how Bourdain presented himself and his work. There are any number of celebrity cooks, but Bourdain married the subtle beauty of film and food with a rock star defiance and gregariousness that made him a culinary god to millions. 
you are a world-renowned chef, all right? Yeah. Famous throughout the world. Yeah, let's, let's admit it. Like the Chuck Wetner of, of chefs. I okay. mean, I... <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, do you ever eat fast food? I would think that it would be difficult because you're very famous, everyone knows you, and you're always talking about the purity of the food, and it's going to be a real experience. Can you go and get fast food and not well, I, be in I, trouble for it? I talk smack about the, you know, the king, the clown, and the colonel a lot, and so it's tough for me when in the middle of the night I suddenly get like a... You know, maybe I'm in the bad decision-making period of the evening, let's put it that way. Uh, perhaps, you know, I'm in an altered state of consciousness and suddenly hungry. And, and often I find for that, you know, fast food, macaroni and cheese, it's not even the chicken. It's a kernel. It's that, that, that orange, bright orange. I'm not even sure it's cheese. It's some sort of weird glowing orange color. Yeah. I'll, I'll put a hoodie on and I'll slide into the, into the kernel. Hoping that no one will I recognize slid me. into the kernel, <laughs> <You know, laughs> so to speak. One of the keys to this success was Bourdain's willingness to ask questions. He would question himself. I'm not going to say I had a mental or nervous breakdown, but I came close. And, and the implication that I should play along with this horrendous manipulation of reality, that I should, you know, maybe hook a dead octopus and wag it around. I mean, look, he, look, he's still peppy, he's still alive. What a triumphant day at sea, when in fact I wanted to murder everybody involved, and then hang myself in the shower. It was a dark place, dark, very dark, low moment. He would question his interview subjects. So tell me, what is a dai-fai dong? Dai is big. Big. Pai is license, and dong is place. So, so it's a big license place. Right. And how many of these are left in... Uh, 28. Whoa, whoa, only 28. Only 28. Why? Why don't, why don't they? Why don't... Because the government doesn't still want the street clean. That's that ain't right. Yeah. He would question the world. The love of money and shiny new things is slowly but surely erasing the past. So before it's gone, this is a reminder of how Hong Kong used to eat at Dai Pai Dongs like this one in Sham Shui Po. Cheap, delicious food served from open-air stalls. Pull up a plastic stool, crack a beer, fire up the wok. Either consciously or subconsciously, Bourdain knew the power of questions. As I've stated in other episodes, questions are more powerful than answers in your story world because they get people thinking. If you simply supply people information, there's no work for them to do. If you make them question what's being presented, it makes them a part of the narrative. How long have things been quiet? Um, well, the war ended in 2009. It's been eight years. I think it takes time for things to happen. Things have happened. Uh, the city's not overgrown. Uh, we're not overpopulated. Oceans are still clean. Whatever the underlying problems were, do you think they are being addressed or will be addressed? I think they are being addressed. Maybe a bit slow, but I think you, you'll find a difference. So the world has changed, and it's great to see stuff like this. This is the kind of ask that you can put into your story world, whether it be fiction or nonfiction. Find ways to ask your audience to think about things in a new way without begging the question. Get them active and engaged and using their minds to eke out themes among much else. That is the subject of today's first prompt. Depending on the nature of your work, I want you to do one of two exercises. If your work is fictional, I want you to write three lines of dialogue from supporting characters. I say supporting because if you make it your main character, it'll be too on the nose. Make each a question that highlights a theme or element of your story world that you want your audience to really think about. These can be questions of morality, ethics, mystery, or anything else, but you shouldn't answer them. 
If your work is nonfiction, think of three questions that you will ask your audience directly and to which you won't give an answer. I want you to activate your fans' minds, to dig deeper into your text, and to consider those three elements on their own. You don't have to spell those questions out directly in the text, but it should be clear what you're getting at. If you want more of this kind of thematic design, look to other episodes in this podcast that deal with themes, particularly opening salvos and the rules. For now, if you've wrapped on that prompt, let's continue. Those questions we just dealt with are direct, of course, but there's more to asking your audience than getting them to think about the world. Bourdain's brand and persona were all about engaging people to take action, to break out of a rut, to experience the world and its food. If I do have any advice for anybody, any final thought, if I'm an advocate for anything, it's to move as far as you can, as much as you can, across the ocean or simply across the river. The extent to which you can walk in somebody else's shoes or at least eat their food, it's a plus for everybody. Open your mind, get up off the couch, move. I was personally struck by one such request in his Layal cookbook. In the recipe on tripe in that tome, the ingredients of which include two kinds of cow stomach, pig ears, blood sausage, and much else that would make the average cook squirm, he demanded that people take a photo, send it to him, and, paraphrasing, I better see those pig ears. You better believe I did so. Though it tasted like old socks, I felt an immense amount of accomplishment. It was a three-day journey that included a trip to Chinatown for all the ingredients and much opening of windows to let the smell out. I may have tried to do it without the call to action, but I can't help but admit that Bourdain's challenge pushed me over the edge. My photo and letter got but a form letter in return, but it wasn't about starting an epistolary relationship with Bourdain. It was about me taking the next somewhat squeamish step in my journey in cuisine. Bourdain peppered his work with such things, winning him the adulation of many who may have never attempted such a step. He got people to try out new techniques and new foods, not just by showing off what could be done, but then yelling at people to try something different. Let's start at the beginning. The first skill you'll need is this. Basic proficiency with a knife, okay? Everybody should know how to use a knife. It ain't that hard, okay? Other cooks have followed similar paths, directing others in ways both courteous... What happened? Don't worry, don't worry. Look, I'm here to help you. Please don't get upset. Hey, don't worry. I have three daughters, Holly, Meg, and Matilda, and they always cry in the kitchen, but they cry with laughter, so I'm not leaving till you laugh. <laughs> Good luck. And less than courteous. You're a great talker, but you're a cook. But cuisine isn't the only place where this call to action takes place. Many authors tell their followers to find them at cons, while podcasters ask people to share their thoughts or stories that can then be showcased on air. And we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you'd like to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-302-2064. Telling people what to do, how to do it, when to do it, is always an effective way at making sure everybody's clear about what's happening and how to take part. Those who waffle don't have an excuse. It's the power of the ask, remember. A little push. What kinds of calls to action do you have in your work? If you're taking part in the prompts, I want you to think of at least three calls to action for your audience. You could ask people to rate, comment, and subscribe, but go beyond that. Maybe you'll ask them to cosplay as your characters. Maybe you'll ask them to send in letters for the back matter of your comic book. Maybe you'll ask them to go stir up some controversy on your behalf. Whatever they may be, make sure the asks are direct and placed. Go on Reddit. Go to forums. Go on Discord. Go wherever your fans are and be a little bold. While I always recommend pairing a reward for engagement to encourage such activity, asking people to take part is the one area in fan engagement where it's not strictly necessary. A conversation and a highlight of that conversation in your work or your blog is typically enough for many audiences. 
You're asking them to participate and validating them by listening. Take your time to craft three really good calls to action, pausing if needs be, and then begin again. There is one final critical ingredient with your ask, the methodology by which you ask or how you ask your questions. You can be simple but direct. When you nod your head yes, but you want to say no, what do you mean? You can be eloquent and loquacious. What does Sigmund Freud, Mark Twain, Henry James, a loony from Newcastle, and the Holy Ghost have in common? Or you can be somewhere in between. Oh, here we go now, top seven answers on the board. Uh, we asked 100 married men, name something your mother-in-law could do to make you like her more. Cook. But the way you ask your questions is going to necessarily inform how your audiences interact with you, your story world, and each other. You set the tone for your world, and your world sets the tone for how you can be perceived. It's not fair, of course. You may be a retiring figure, but if you write curse-laden crime fiction, you'll assuredly draw a kind of crowd to your work. Similarly, you can be confrontational and controversial, but don't expect your fans to kowtow to your opinions or those of others in that case. Yeah. What, that, oh, what so, don't you like about the channel? Well, you guys are, are hacks. You wouldn't be Howard Stern. I mean, yeah. you know, it, 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 it's decent. It's immoral, what you're talking about. You know what you should do, sir? Before you, right after you call XM, you should drink a fifth of old granddad and then drunk drive into a schoolyard. <laughs> this isn't a negative, though. It's amoral. You get to establish the guidelines for your work, and vice versa. Be aware and make deliberate choices. For his part, Anthony Bourdain asked his audiences to participate in a way that was both honest and aggressive. He didn't suffer fools, but he also wanted people to appreciate the differences in the world and in each other. His story world was one of wonder, questioning, and directness. I think I made of maybe before I started traveling, I thought that the human race as a whole were, you know, venal, petty, cruel, arbitrary. And it's true that all of those things exist in this world, but I meet mostly pretty nice people doing the best they can or, or very different. That's good. Particularly in Parts Unknown, Bourdain would try to tell it like it was and ask people to reconsider their preconceptions. Pittsburgh could have been another company town gone to beautiful ruin. But something happened. This city started to pop up on lists of the most livable places in America. It became attractive to a new wave of people from elsewhere looking to reinvent themselves and make a new world. And so we find ourselves asking the same questions we ask in other cities in transition. Are the new arrivals, new money, new ideas saving the city or cannibalizing it? Who will live in the Pittsburgh of the future? And will there be room for the people who stayed true? stuck with it their whole lives. This had good intentions, but not always the best of consequences. As showcased in the documentary Roadrunner, Bourdain's charity with food in Haiti led to a near riot as desperate people tried to grab as much as they could. A simple, maybe foolhardy, naive desire to take care of an immediate problem, hungry kids, led to unintended and very ugly consequences. You know, people beating other people. Your actions and the effect of your work is going to hopefully influence the world, but it won't always be in the way that you intend. While nobody blames the Beatles for inspiring Charles Manson with Helter Skelter, it would be foolish to think that artists don't share some responsibility for their work. You're building a world and relinquishing a little bit of control when you invite your audiences in, remember. Not all of them will behave. Unless you're purely crafting work for your own edification, you're trying to elicit a reaction in the audience. 
Your how is going to go a long way in determining how strong and in what style that reaction will come. I want you to think about that if you're taking part in our last prompt. First, write two sentences about the asks in the prompts you took part in above. The first should describe how either ask reflects you as a creator. The second should describe how either ask reflects your story world. Then below that, and in as much space as you need, I want you to ask yourself, how could this go wrong and how could you own that failure? In other words, how could your methodology for asking audiences to take part lead to bad behavior in that community? And what would your response to that be? Silence is an option, as are direct condemnations, and so too is anything in between. But remember that each of those are a method, or a how, in and of themselves. They will similarly reflect your story world, because as the creator of this work, the weight of your voice is enough to cause a gravitational shift in the public's perception of your work. Use it wisely. We've reached the end of our episode. By taking part in the prompts, you've found two ways to ask your audience to take part and written down a little bit about the methodology by which you'll engage those fans. It's just the beginning of your quest in asking the world to experience your work, and it's also just the beginning of our quest into fan engagement. In the next episode, we'll be dealing with expression, how to differentiate your persona and the quote-unquote persona of your world so that it expresses something more unique and ephemeral than the other content out there. Don't forget to subscribe to this on Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow me at Words of Steel or Building a BSW on Twitter, or go to babsw.buzzsprout.com for past episodes. You'll find everything from how to use dialogue to better reveal your story world, to ways to build a stronger protagonist to archetypes and more. It's my goal to inspire you to build the kinds of story worlds that will engage fans all over the globe. Keep in touch, keep creating, and keep cool. Building a Better Story World is written, produced, recorded, and sound engineered by Steel Tyler Filipek. The theme song, Asia, is by Ilya Marfin via icons8.com. All narrative clips are used under the Fair Use Doctrine, as defined by Title 17 of the United States Code, subsection 107, in that they are used for nonprofit educational work for the purpose of analysis, have been transformed from their initial records by audio engineering for podcasting, and are not substantive of the entire work or function as a direct market substitute. Audio effects are provided by freesound.org under the Creative Commons license. If you feel that this production has unfairly used a piece of audio to which you own the rights, please contact helmstarmedia at gmail.com.